Welcome everybody to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you by the HockeyThinkTank.com, a website for all players, parents, and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. We have on one of the premier hockey writers, especially when it comes to the NHL draft coverage, Chris Peters. And Chris has worked his way up to doing some pretty amazing things in terms of hockey writing. Right now, he actually has his own website, Hockey Sense, which is hockeysense.substack.com. He also has a podcast, Hockey Sense, uh, but he's been a staff writer at ESPN, CBS Sports. He worked for the NTDP in their marketing and communications department. Uh, Just an awesome perspective from an awesome guy here in Chris. But before we do get over to him, let's bring on another awesome guy in the talent of the podcast, Jeffrey Lavecchio. Vex, what's shaking today? Got to say, I'm extremely excited. Uh, great intro. You were very on point. And you're wearing a GMBM hoodie. Coincidence? I think not. <laughs> How about no, Scott? How about no? Ah, <laughs> uh, you look like you're in a pretty good mood today. You're also coming, coming live from St. Louis with your Nash boy hat on. I am, you know, just got to represent my son, my puppy son, Nash. <laughs> and I'm actually, uh, after we do this, I got to do a voiceover for... Uh, for this uh, marketing thing I'm doing for my online training. And then I'm heading to Nashville to see Bay uh, this weekend. So that'll be fun. So I'm excited. I like it, man. Well, let's get right into it. First of all, I do want to say like, it's pretty cool where this podcast is kind of growing to, because I don't think I mentioned this on the podcast yet, but like a couple weeks ago, I got legitimate emails from somebody in New Zealand, somebody in California, somebody in Florida and somebody in Calgary, like four emails from four very different places <laughs> about our podcast and how it's made an impact on them. So I just like, you know, we say it all the time and, and we make sure we say it every, every episode, but like, thank you so much to everybody that, that listens. Like we really, really appreciate it. And especially like if you share us and if you think we're doing a, a good service for the hockey community and you share us to people in your networks and everything, cause you think they'll get something out of it. Like we appreciate that so much. So thank you to all the listeners. And the fact that again, New Zealand, Florida, California, Calgary, like, come on. Like that's, that's pretty cool. That's unreal. I know Australia, Finland, Sweden. I know people in all these areas listen to us too. We were uh, both on a similar guy's podcast and he's out in Finland. Uh, Rick Schreiber was on his podcast this week, earlier this week. I think you were on it maybe like a few weeks ago or a month ago. ago, Yeah. Yeah. You know, like it's everywhere. It's pretty, pretty badass, man. It's pretty cool that we're able to help so many people in so many different locations. Yep, absolutely. And uh, I did want to bring this up too. So yesterday we're, we are recording this intro on Friday and yesterday I sent a tweet out uh, that got some pretty good play. And so I was having a, a conversation with an NHL agent the other day. And it's just really interesting because we got to talk into like, you know, what's the difference between kids that make it and kids that don't and parents came up and, you know, we, we talked a lot about it with Chris on the podcast too, because he's a draft guru and talking about getting into character and how important that stuff is. And and so I, I, like, I just asked the agent, I said, and this is like a very reputable agent, like extremely reputable, has a lot of high, high caliber NHL players and stuff like that. And I just asked him, I was like, look, like, is there like a difference between players with high maintenance parents and players that don't in terms of like making it to the NHL and and making it to these high levels of hockey? Um, And we were talking about it and I said, okay, like give me a number. 
I don't, like how many kids do you think that like you've had in your family of, of advisees that have gone on to play in the NHL play at those levels or whatever? And he goes, well, honestly, let's say I had 200 kids. I'd probably say two. And I was like, really? Cause you, you kind of think that, you know, and I've seen it, especially in the recruiting process, you're recruiting kids to, to D one hockey. Like, there's like the apple doesn't fall far from the tree. It really, it really doesn't. And when you have a great family that comes in and they're sitting, you know, on the couches and you're talking recruit, like you, it translates so much. And when you have high maintenance parents, like whose sole goal is to live through their son or daughter to, to play at the highest levels. Like I feel like very few of those people actually end up doing it. And, uh, and, and so it was a really interesting conversation. And, and uh, so I actually had somebody after I sent that message out, somebody DM'd me and said, well, like, what do you think constitutes a high maintenance parent? Like, what does that mean? So I'll pose the question to you first, cause I've had some time to think about it, but what do you see as a high maintenance hockey parent or youth sports parent? Uh, very tough question. Cause I think, you know, each case is a little bit different, but one would be the parents, especially I'm talking like AAA older levels, I guess, but it could be, you know, a little bit younger. Um, the ones that are constantly talking to the coach instead of having their son or daughter talk to the coach, that would be number one. And especially if it's about playing time, if you're talking to the coach, cause you're at, you know, you're asking them questions when the coach has free time, not stopping them all the time after every practice, every game. And it's not about playing time. It's, you know, what can I do to help my son or daughter? Like, that's okay. But if it's like questioning playing time if they're talking to other parents why is so-and-so playing on the team when my son's not and you know like being negative around the rink and those kind of things I'd say that's a high maintenance parent uh, another thing would be one of those people who asks for advice and I get this a little bit too there are some of my clients who do this they'll ask for advice I'm not saying my advice is the end all be all I'm not saying it's correct but I did play at high levels I do work with you know high level players and they'll ask for my advice and then they do the exact opposite of what I said every single time. And again, I'm not saying I'm right all the time, but I do know how to work on development and stuff like that. And every time they go a different way from my advice and I'm like, that's high maintenance, you know, how about you? What would be some key points you would say? Yeah, I think you hit the nail on the head, but I'll, I'll like, I'll go a little bit further. Um, like, I think the high maintenance parents are the ones who are kind of like blaming their kid, not getting something on something other than their kid's ability or effort. So like taking the, like, why doesn't my son play on the power play? Why doesn't my daughter get on the ice in these situations? Well, like maybe just like, don't talk to the coach, have your son or daughter talk to the coach, but also tell your son or daughter that like, Hey, if you want to, these types of ice time opportunities, you got to earn it. And we've talked about earning things so much. So it's like the parents that constantly talk about factors outside of a kid's control, rather than like talking about what they can control and them having to earn things. For me, that's like the worst kind of high maintenance parent. And when you get to the older levels, like I think we talk about high maintenance parents when it comes to youth hockey, but there's a lot of high maintenance parents at the NHL level and in college and junior as well. It's just different, right? Because like 
parents feel compelled that they can talk to the kids, youth, youth coaches. They feel like they cannot talk to the higher level coaches, but they can do just as much damage on the back end, telling their kid, you, you deserve this and that and the other thing when, you know, the coach should be playing you here or yada, yada, yada. Like that's almost worse. And, and we've dealt with it as a college coach. Like that's something that we talk to our players about all the time. And something that like really hurt some kids, careers once we found out kind of what was going on behind the scenes and we actually took some steps to say hey you need to confront your parents about x y and z and they did and it was awesome like sometimes and sometimes parents don't realize they're doing it too some parents are just like they're just it's what they're doing is wrong and they know it's wrong but they just do it anyway um because they have an ego or whatever but some parents like don't realize that some of the things that they're saying to their son or daughter like can affect them. And I would say 90% of the time it's about telling them they deserve something or should be getting something about an outside factor rather than saying, Hey, you need to go out and earn it. Yeah. And I mean, I know parents of NHL players, AHL players, division one players who are calling the coaches, calling the organization. Why is my kid not playing this and that? Really? Yes. Yes, I do. And uh, wow. I have I have NHL teams calling me asking about these players. Well, what's going on with his dad? What's going on? Why is he calling us? You know, like it's it's crazy out there. Like you're doing your son or daughter zero help by doing things like that. Like if they're struggling, be there emotionally, be there, you know, any way you can try and help them find the right sports psychologist or someone to talk to, but it's not your place to call the coach, to call the team, especially at the higher level or, or talk crap about the coach and his or her decisions to your kid behind their back too. That does just as much damage. I cannot stress that one enough. Even if you (laughs) do not agree with what the coach is doing to your son, to the team, it doesn't matter. By you throwing negativity and jabs behind that coach's back in front of your kid, to your kid, whatever it is, to their teammates, you're bringing in that negativity. And that's going to translate to your kid. And he's going to bring that into the locker room. And he's going to bring that or she's going to bring that into their body language. So again, you are doing no help. by You're trying to help, but you are doing them a disservice. Yeah, big time. It's just... Uh... Big time. <laughs> slept into basement. Um, yeah, it's, it is, it is a huge disservice. And so I just thought that was a really, really good question because we talk about high maintenance parents all the time, but, um, and, and it's funny, like, I wonder if there's any parents that'll be listening to this, that'll be like, Oh man, maybe I'm a little bit high maintenance, <laughs> you know, because again, like, I think there's some that like intentionally do those things, but then there's some that just kind of just vent in front of their kids or whatever. And they're not like it, it it's not malicious or anything. Um, I mean, I'm sure we've all done it and, and things like that, but yeah, it's uh, I thought it'd be good to kind of define what that is. And I, I mean, it just, it just goes back to like, know your role a little bit. You know what I mean? And I know that might sound harsh, but like know your role. And just as we talk about as players and as coaches after games, after practices, after a season, reflect what you did well, what you didn't do well, when you're a parent, and again, I'm not a parent, you are, but your kids aren't playing hockey yet, especially at the higher levels, like after a game or after a weekend, like look in the mirror and think about how you reacted or interacted, I'm sorry, with your child. Was I there? Was, was, I, doing, was I doing the right things to help them be the best they can be? Was I giving them the right information? Was I pumping them up or was I 
bringing them down? Was I making them more negative? Were the things I was saying going to make them a, a worse teammate or a better teammate? I mean, I think that that's probably a good idea. I, I've never said that to a parent, but I think that's probably because they're invested so much in their kids from AAA and above with how much money it is, how much time you only want the best for your kid. Maybe start reflecting how you're interacting with them after games and practices, and maybe you'll be better, which will make them better. I don't know. That's yeah. an idea. Yeah. And it was interesting too, in my conversation with the agent, because it's just with COVID, like there's so much uncertainty out there. And I'm dealing with this as an 18 year coach, trying to get my kids placed in junior hockey. I mean, the junior teams are, they don't know what's going on for next year. Uh, the college teams, even there's that new transfer rule coming in and, and, you know, kids that are, um, are possibly coming in and kids are getting an extra year and stuff. So there's so much uncertainty at all the higher levels. So I'm like, I'm struggling to, help these kids find places to play just because there is, there's so much uncertainty and, and agents and advisors are going through the same thing. And he was like, Tof, you would have no idea a few of the emails and texts and calls that I've gotten from some of these parents saying, why haven't you gotten my kid X, Y, or Z, or you're not doing a freaking good job and blah, 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 blah. And it's like, if you think about it, if somebody treats you like that or says something like that to you, are you more apt to work for that kid or not? I wouldn't be like, I want to work for the kids who love what they do. The parents who are great people, you know, and, and, uh, and, and have some appreciation for the work that you put in, because especially these agents, like they work so hard. A lot of them do. They work so hard to get the best that they can for, for the people that they're advising. And, uh, it's just like, it, just think about that as a parent. Like if you're acting like that, do you think that that person, or even if you're a, you know, a, a parent of a, of a kid and you're treating your youth kids, youth coach like that, do you think that kid's coach is going to want to put your kid out on the ice more after you've just tongue lashed them for, or sent a nasty email or stuff? Like not a chance. I would agree. And then the, the last part of that puzzle where I've seen quite a bit is parents that are just super their kid and also pushing their kids to do stuff. If your kid's not asking to go to the rink, if your kid's not asking you to go to the gym, don't push them to, because that's not, that's going to backfire. I do think there's, I'm going to push back a little bit on that. Push back, <laughs> baby. Let me, let, push me back. So I, I do feel like there can be some nudges from parents to do that because like in today's world, um, like, you know, the kids could be in front of TikTok all day or they'll watch movies all day or they play video games all day. And it's, it's like, Hey, you got to go do something else. So, and, and, and maybe that, maybe it's not like, I get what you're saying a hundred percent. You can't be, you can't live vicariously through your kid and force them to do things that they don't want to do. But also at the same time, like I needed to be pushed at times. You needed to be pushed. Nobody's self-motivated enough to do things on their own all the time. Um, I, even us now, like we, I know we put, have people that push us and coach us and, and things like that. So I do think that there's a piece of that. Like, I don't want parents to think I should just not say anything to my kid ever, but, um, they, I think there's certain ways to do it. You right. You right. You right. I think maybe it's more, it's like, uh, Hey, you think you thinking about like doing some stick handling today or Hey, do you think being on TikTok all day is going to get you closer to and playing Fortnite's going to get you closer to your hockey goals or, yeah there's a way to approach it for sure yeah, it's like hey let's talk about what you want you know hey let's talk about what you want you you want to play in the nhl okay i did my research i talked to some people i listened to this podcast like these are what these people are saying about how to achieve your dream all right hey let's set up a plan hey let's let's do something where hey you'll stick handle for 15 minutes a day or hey i uh i put a net down in the basement or in the garage or in the driveway and hey let's let's shoot pucks together like and, and get into it with them i think there's certain 
certain ways to do it. But I do agree with you where you can't force someone to do something that they don't want to do. Like don't live vicariously through your kid. 100%. And I want to beat a dead horse, but this is something that I used to see quite a bit when I trained the younger players, you know, below 16 and the parents were more involved and they'd be dropping their kids off at the gym. And um, it's, it's, it's not what you say, it's how you say it too. So like we just said, mm. maybe you ask, you know, what are your goals? Well, Hey, I, I watched, uh, I follow torch pro on Instagram who we're going to have them on the podcast next week. Um, you know, I saw that when the kids were Joe Pavelski was younger, he said he was doing this. Like, maybe you want to try that instead of like what I've seen. And I've had parents say this to me in front of their younger child, who's a triple a player. Yeah. How many, pu- why don't you ask so-and-so how many pucks he shot last night, knowing that they didn't shoot any. Like that kind of negative feedback is not going to make your kid want to do things. It will not work. Why don't you ask so-and-so if he stretched it all lately? And it's like a dagger they're throwing at their kid. And it's like, dude, that's not going to work. That doesn't make anyone want to do anything more. So it's, you got to come from like a psychological uh, uh, standpoint and think about what you're saying, how you're saying it, how your child will react to what you're saying before you say it. A hundred percent. And that goes for coaches too. I mean, I think coaches, same thing. Like how you say what you say is, is very, very important. Um, I, I, like my parents would tell me all the time because I grew up playing for some tough coaches. I had some tough coaches in my career and a lot of like, one of the things they would always say to me was listen to what they're saying, not how they're saying it. Like they said that to me so many times because I would come home and be like, like, I just, he just yelled at me and blah, blah, blah. And it was again, a little bit different of an era of, of coaching. Um, but nobody likes to be yelled at. And, uh, yeah, it's just interesting. Like, listen to what the, I, I, I like that. I have nothing more to say on the point. I feel like <laughs> you beat it dead, but parents who are listening, I hope you, I hope you share this with other parents on your team, maybe not to the ones who are psychos and you just say, Hey, you need to listen to this, Bob. But, uh, (laughs) you know, I think this stuff is so important because parents can really help or hurt. And I've seen, I've seen it both ways throughout me playing and training guys and, and all these years in hockey, I've seen parents that really helped and I've seen parents that really hurt their kids. And I believe, I truly believe it's coming from a place of they want to help. So I just think that, you know, finding a better way is just going to help your son or daughter more. So maybe really start to think about how you go about that. Yeah. And uh, transitioning this over to Chris Peters, like we, we talked about a lot of this stuff on the podcast too, just in, in NHL draft terms, in terms of how important character is and, and how much teams are starting to look into, you know, teams are investing millions of dollars in, in scouting staffs and trying to find out as much information they can about players that they want to bring into to their system. And you know, we, we, we talked a lot about the character aspect of it and certain teams in the NHL that maybe do it better than others and, and things like that. So um, it just, it translates so much the, the way, again, I've, I've seen it so much. The apple doesn't fall far from the tree for the good and for the bad. And uh, it was, it was interesting to hear Chris's take on it. Who's done a lot of research about the NHL draft too. Well, I mean, that's an interesting point. Something that you put up, I saw on your Twitter and your Instagram um, from last night, the, uh, the Buffalo Sabres a goal against with uh, Jeff Skinner. And Ugh. I mean, you know, I don't like taking a dump on people when they're down by any means, but if you're in the NHL and you're a professional athlete, you know, you, you'll be open to criticism and stuff like that. So I know you didn't that clip or that effort. And maybe that's, I don't know him, so I'm not going to say I do, but maybe that's a character thing. I, I don't know. What are your thoughts on that one? I mean, it, it was embarrassing is what it was. 
I mean, to be making that much money to, to play in the NHL and have a clip like that, where first of all, you failed and get the puck out of the zone. You're, you're that good. Uh, that needs to get out of the zone and he doesn't. And then he literally just stands in the slot with his stick up on his hips while Pittsburgh. And, and it was funny because I went to go look at the clip because Anthony Angelo, who I coached at Cornell, he had an assist. So as I saw, Ange got a point. So I was like, oh, I got to check this out. And so it was a great pass by Ange. Awesome pass, by the way. And then I'm, I'm watching it. I'm like looking at Skinner and I'm like, are you kidding me? That's the kind of effort you're going to bring. And, and that's where, like, again, I, I've, I've defended Ralph Kruger on this podcast and, and on things that I've wrote because I know him. I'm a little bit biased when it comes to that. And obviously they had a long losing streak, but it certainly hasn't changed since he got fired. And I don't care how good of a coach you are. If your best players play like that, you don't have a chance you have no chance to win hockey games. Zero. You look at the teams that have won, like their best players bring it, man. Like they absolutely bring it and they work. And it's just like, imagine being, and I'm sure you've been on teams like this. Like imagine your best players are just absolute dogs and don't work hard. And for role players like you, you just got like, and they're making all the money, they're getting all the opportunities and all that kind of stuff. And like, what does that say to everybody else on the team if they're playing like that? there's zero chance you're going to develop a good culture, which is necessary to win at the highest levels. Yeah. And I mean, it's a joke. You know, uh, yeah, that's, that's for me, that's unacceptable. Everything starts with effort. And if your team is on that big of a losing streak, I mean, I, I'm trying to think like we didn't win a lot of games at Western my freshman year um, and losing that many or like, we didn't lose that many in a row, but like losing a bunch in a row, it's very hard. It's hard mentally. It's hard physically. You know, people start to panic, especially at the professional level. Then you got guys in on a lineup, guys worried about their jobs, coaches worried about their jobs, management worried about their jobs. So there's even more pressure on your back. But the, the, the only way out of that is effort and details. And I mean, there was, there, there was little to no of that, none of that on, uh, on that goal there. And I think you just got to start with that, you know. It's a joke. It's an absolute joke. I mean, there's a reason why that guy's played 10 years in the NHL and has scored as many goals as he had hundreds of goals. And he's yet to play a playoff game. He's not played a playoff game in 10 years. Eichel hasn't played a playoff game since he got in the league. Taylor Hall's played in like nine or 13. I can't remember what it was when I wrote about it, but like, those are your three best. Like there's a reason why like franchises are consistently good. It's because their best players are their hardest workers. Look at every franchise that's ever had a dynasty. Patrice like, Bergeron. Look at the Bruins, right? Look at look at Chicago with Tane and Caves. Like look at look at uh, Pittsburgh with Crosby. Malkin, you know, he can go up and down a little bit, but like, <laughs> it, it's I just I feel for Buffalo fans because I live near there. I'm two hours away from Buffalo, and they're like a really awesome, passionate group of fans. Like you're not going anywhere. You're not going anywhere until you fix that problem. Best players have to be your hardest workers. You're most bought in. You give the captaincy to, uh, you know, a kid at however many years old who needed to mature. Um, and, you know, it, it's funny to hear, like, people make excuses for, for Eichel, too. Like, I'm going to get on my freaking soapbox right now. But, like, it's funny how they talk about, oh, he's never really had, you know, people to learn from. I know he lived in Matt Molson's basement, and Molson's one of the best captains I ever had. Brian Gianta, who, he, who we've had on the podcast, was on those teams. Like, come on. You know, like, I feel bad for Buffalo fans. I really do. 
By the way, let me just bring that up again because the Brian Gianta podcast was a long time ago. Any of our newer listeners, uh, yeah, we had Brian Gianta on the podcast. Not a big deal. It was an unreal podcast listening yeah. to him. So go back. Um, I know like for me, when I try and go back and re-listen to some of our older ones, maybe they won't show up. If you just Google the name and Hockey Think Tank podcast, they show up pretty easily. So uh, that was a really, really good one with, you know, an unbelievable human and hockey player. Yeah, former Team USA Olympic captain too. So great guy. Um, all right, let's get over to Chris because this was a, a great episode. Uh, before we do get over to Chris, let's thank our sponsors. We have Gelsticks, G-E-L-S-T-X dot com. They are your best weighted training sticks. And if you go to gelsticks.com and use the coupon code THINKTANK, one word, you can get a discount on your sticks. Jeff, you want to hammer out Train Heroic here? Yeah, I just want to thank Train Heroic. I'll do it quickly. That's the app that I use to use all of my online training programs. I had pros in, I can't remember if it was 12, 13, or 14 countries during COVID, all using it, professional hockey players, all using it, 13 or 14 countries, whatever it was. Last year, trained, you know, Paul Stasny on it from the Winnipeg Jets all, all offseason. Um, you can look up any of my training programs, which are all relevant today from last year, uh, train from home, train at a gym, ripped hockey, just uh, Google train heroic Jeff Lubecchio and you will find them. There we go. And then the next sponsor that we are going to do is icehockeysystems.com. And for our drill this week, wanted to go through, and I'm sure a lot of people have done this one. It's, it's kind of a popular game, but the four on two, no, st- uh, the four on two game, you know, this one where you put tires down the middle. So it's in a zone. It's in one zone and you put tires in the middle of the ice on one side. You have four players on offense in one color, two players on defense. And then on the other side of the tires or cones, you have four players on offense, two players on defense of the opposite colors of the other side. And you got the two nets on the goal lines kind of towards the boards and uh, you can't cross sides. You can put the puck over to the other side, but you can't actually cross sides. And uh, a couple of the constraints that I like to put in this game, number one is if you're playing defense, if you're one of the two on the side that's playing defense, you have to be aggressive. You can't just like sit back and try and pick pucks off. You have to be aggressive with your stick and retreat. So you're out, you know, trying to disrupt plays and then you got to go back and retreat. So it's like a really good hockey sense learning game for me defensively just trying to get back into holes and take passing lanes away and the other uh, constraint that I like to put on the game is you can only hold on to the puck for one second so you have to move pucks quick so it's like um like you have to get to support the puck in these certain areas like I don't like the game when there's four players that sit in a square or stand in a square and two players that are playing defense are inside that square. Like I like it when it's more aggressive. And so you're out, you're back defensively, offensively, you have to move it, get open quickly. And uh, I just think it's a really good uh, hockey sense defensively uh, from the sticks, like I talked about and offensively having to know what your next play is before you even get the puck because you only get a second with it. Yeah. Super fun drill. We used to call that like the half ice power play drill. Yeah. You can make it three on two, four on two, four on three, whatever you want. I, 
I love that drill. It's super fun. It's also a great way if you're trying to get the boys to like compete or girls to compete. You put a mountain on the line or what you know, whatever you a lightning, whatever you want, Herbie, whatever you want to call it, push-ups. <laughs> put something on the line and you'll get some intensity out of your team for sure. They want to win, they want to score goals, they want to play defense more. And I like that you said just not standing still because that just gets, you know, it's just so boring that way. Nobody's, you know, you might as well just be on open ice, just passing it around a bunch of cones, uh, forcing yourself out of your comfort zone, both offensively and defensively. I really like doing it that way. Sweet. I like it. Uh, and then finally, before we do get over to Chris, we actually have some news here, some podcast news. So Jeff and I are actually going under the umbrella of like a huge legit podcast company. So uh, last week you noticed that there was an ad at the beginning of the episode uh, before we did our little bit of an intro. And uh, yeah, like, again, thank you guys, everybody so much for all you've done to support this podcast. Um, And, and like, you know, it's, it's blown up larger than either of us could have ever imagined when we started this thing so many years ago, what was it? Two and a half years ago now. And, uh, and yeah, so we got kind of, I don't know if acquired is the right word, but we're going under a legit podcast company, uh, under their umbrella. So that'll give us access to a lot of really cool new things that we'll be able to do with the podcast. We will have some, some other kind of like bigger sponsors that you typically hear on other podcasts, um, that aren't as related to hockey, but again, that just allows us to do some more things creatively, but yeah, thank you to everybody that, uh, you know, that has supported us and shared us and, and everything like that. Um, this podcast company is called blue wire pods and, uh, they've been awesome. They've been really cool. And some other hockey podcasts that they have under their umbrella, Dmitry Filipovich, uh, has a great podcast it's called the PDO uh, cast. And he's an awesome guy. I've talked to him about a bunch of different things. He, he's a great follow on Twitter. Um, the other one is dropping the gloves with John Scott. So John Scott's got a podcast as well. Uh, he's a pretty funny guy. And I think everybody will remember him from the all-star game a few years back when he got voted in, uh, by the fans. And, and he had that little fight with Patrick Kane at the all-star game, which is pretty funny. Um, so yeah, we're just very, very grateful on where this podcast journey has, has taken us going under this umbrella will help us to do some, some new and, and cool things. And we'll get some great ideas from all the other podcasts that they have in their network. Um, and yeah, so thank you so much to everybody. That's, uh, that's helped us kind of get to this point. Love it. We are, we are extremely humbled, extremely excited about the opportunity. So I just want to say thank you to everyone, all the listeners, uh, love you guys, love all the feedback, all the messages, and we wouldn't be able to continue this without your support. So just wanted to say thank you. And, and one last note for me real quickly, because I'm super proud of these guys. I think that hard work and dedication should be rewarded. And I just want to give a shout out to a couple of my guys, Chris Weidman. I don't know if I said this or not last week, but just got back home trying to get a deal back in the NHL again right now. He led all defensemen in the KHL in scoring, broke a record for his team in the KHL for scoring by a defenseman. Uh, Tyler Parks, he's in the Slovakian extra Liga, led every goalie category there was, had an offer in the SHL to leave. His team wouldn't let him out of his contract, but he had a monster year. And that's one of our top five, I think, downloaded podcasts ever. Number and if three. You want, uh, number three right there. And if you want to hear uh, how hard it is for guys to make it, 
and, and how awesome it is when guys who struggle and, and finally get their break, like listen to that episode. Like you think things are easy, like listen to Tyler's journey cut from two SPHL teams plays in the AHL two, three years later, like unbelievable. Um, and then the other one, I had three guys commit to division one schools in the last week that trained with me. And I just want to say a big congrats to them, Michael Mullen and Addison Bruick to Lindenwood, who is going division one in two years, I believe uh, that's their plan. So they just committed to the hometown team. there. pretty exciting. And Tyler Catalano to uh, Topher's alma mater. The big red Cornell. So now I'm always chirping him in the gym. Like who's scared of a big red? <laughs> <laughs> it's oh, a big color. <laughs> he's doing a set and I'm like, Oh, that big color. It's scary. But uh, super proud of Tyler. He's been coming to the gym every morning, three to four days a week, all this last season before school at six Oh five AM as a 16 year old. So you want to hear how hard it is to make the division one dedication, persistence, all the things we constantly talk about. Tyler personifies them, exemplifies them. And it's really exciting for it to pay off. And with, uh, with his commitment to Cornell. So congrats to all those guys. Great years, boys. Yeah, buddy. Always love to hear Cornell getting good kids. I know being in those recruiting rooms, that's something very, very important uh, is that culture and, and bringing the right people into it. So awesome to hear. So with that, let's head on over to Chris Peters. You can find him at hockeysense.substack.com. He also has a podcast that he just started, which is called Hockey Sense. His first couple of guests were Bob McKenzie and John Butchergrass. Uh, so pretty cool stuff there. So without further ado, let's head it on over to Chris Peters. We are so excited to have on this episode of the podcast from the great state of Iowa. It's Chris Peters. Chris, how are we doing today? Topher, I'm doing great. Thanks a lot for having me. Uh, as a longtime listener, it's, a, it's an honor to be on the program. So thanks for, thanks for having me on the pod. Oh, man. And I am double pumped, Vex, because we didn't plan this. But Chris and I both are wearing Chicago White Sox gear right now. <laughs> Nerds. <laughs> unreal. Unreal. Hey, Vex, how much do you miss going through driving through uh, the cornfields of Iowa through like going to Cedar Rapids and Waterloo and stuff for USHL games? That silence was showing you how much I miss it. Meaning none, <laughs> zero. I do not miss those ridiculously long bus rides, late bus rides. My junior coach yelling in the back, you guys better not eat too much. Cause we knew when we got home off the bus at 2 AM, we were going to have to run stairs and all that stupid stuff. Yeah. Ew. <laughs> do you miss Fazoli's though? Chris, do you have a Fazoli's by you? I don't, I don't have, I did in college, but I don't have, cause I went to Iowa state, but I don't have any, uh, I don't have any Fazoli's around here. So yeah, no, no drive through Italian around this, <laughs> these parts. Uh, if you don't have drive through Italian, you're just not doing it right, is what I would say. <laughs> <laughs> but quick story about Fazoli's. Don't know Mr. Fazoli or Mrs. Fazoli, but I love Fazoli's. We went, uh, it became our, our home game spot because I started going there so much. I was just like, hey, would you like give our team a deal since we come here all the time? So then we, I mean, this is bad, but we got a free cookie and a free smoothie and unlimited breadsticks before they were unlimited at Fazoli's every home game. They were so nice. Little old lady Edna. She was like a 92 year old breadstick uh, woman, always coming around, making the boys happy, feeding the boys breadstick cheer. So thank you Fazoli's in Omaha. <laughs> yeah. That's unreal. I miss Elite drive through Italian. No question. <laughs> 
Oh, good stuff. Well, Chris, we're excited to have you on the podcast. One of the premier writers about our game. Uh, I've been doing it for a long time and, and uh, especially I love the stuff that you put out there about the draft and I can't wait to get into diving into some of that stuff. Um, but before we, uh, you know, before we do dive into that, we'd love to hear just kind of how you fell in love with the game. And uh, as a proud Chicago guy, I would imagine you might be a Blackhawks fan. It's weird because I did not grow up a Blackhawks fan because they were so bad when I was growing up. But uh, what got you falling in love with the game? Yeah, I mean, it all starts with my dad. Um, my dad, Chuck, he was uh, he he was kind of a first generation hockey player, you know, so like he didn't have anybody that showed him the game. He he kind of fell into it on his own um, as a, in high school. He went to Marist High School in Chicago on the south side and um, they didn't have a hockey team there. And so, you know, he, but, but he, he kind of, he and some buddies got together, they would practice and, and you know, the, he had, he bought all his own gear, you know, and kind of taught himself the game. I mean, even I, 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 at one point he showed me, he had a letter like, you know, you university of Illinois, Chicago used to have a team as you, as you probably remember the, the UIC flames and my dad played for him. Did, oh, okay. Yeah, that's yeah. right. So, so he, your our, our dads are probably similar in age. And my, so my dad, like Val, Val Balmani was their coach back in the day. And my dad had like an offer letter from there from like, he, cause he was like, you know, one of the local guys, I was, was like, why didn't you do that? But my dad actually went and became a paramedic on the Chicago fire department um, and played on the fire department hockey team. So I, he would drag me to their practices and all their games and stuff. And, uh, one time they actually played the, uh, the Disney characters from Disney on ice. And I got to go, that was like, that, I was what? like, okay, well, I'm going to play hockey for the rest of my life now. Cause uh, my dad just uh, took a shot on Baloo from jungle book. So this is like amazing. <laughs> so like, yeah. So, so, you know, I was kind of growing up on the South side and I, I started skating at a young age, but then I kind of fell out of it and then eventually came back to it when I was older, I was like nine or 10. So I was way behind a lot of players, but I just loved the game so much. And so, um, yeah, I started playing youth hockey. I played mostly house leagues in in uh, Oakland and Homewood Flossmore and just like, you know, these 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 uh, local rinks and um, played at Mount Carmel High School JV team, JV superstar. Not even not even a JV superstar, just more of a JV uh, fourth liner. And uh, but but I mean, even though I wasn't very good at it, I always had a passion for the game. And so, you know, I quickly started morphing that idea. And so, okay, I'm definitely not playing anywhere after high school. Um, so what do I do? And I always was into broadcasting started that way. And then I kind of started in writing a little bit more, went to Iowa state university. I've worked for the club team there for a couple of years and did the broadcast of the games and stuff on a, over a telephone on a, on a early internet broadcast stream. It was like the cheapest thing ever. Um, and so it just kind of like, it just continued to snowball. I never really anticipated that I'd be able to make it a career. But I mean, it started from, you know, being a little guy going to my dad's men's league games and why, and yes, you're right. I, I grew up a Blackhawks fan and, you know, like the 90, the 92 Stanley cup final was like the most crushing moment of my life at that age. Cause I was about eight years old at that point. So you're not going to uh, beat Lemieux at that point though. No, no. I mean, like Yager, you see the Lemieux, clips of Lemieux. Francis, coffee. Yeah. yeah no, yeah, yeah. There's no way, but, but yeah, I mean, then there was obviously the real dark period that came after that. And, uh, but yeah, so it all, it all starts with my dad. He was my coach a lot growing up too. And, um, you know, I just, I really, yeah, he, his passion became my passion and it, it's now kind of starting full circle. Cause I've got my kid playing now and it's, uh, yeah, it's a lot of fun. That's really cool. Well, one of the stops that you mentioned there, you mentioned you were at Iowa state and you mm -hmm. talk about being a broadcaster with a freaking telephone. Um, <laughs> yeah. 
And it's just like, you know, we bring a lot of people on the podcast in the hockey world, outside the hockey world that have gotten to these really cool places, whether it's somebody that was a player that had to persevere to, you know, get to the NHL or whether it was a different sport or just business, whatever. And, you know, you have become one of the premier hockey writers in the game. And you started by broadcasting division, whatever club college games with a freaking telephone. (laughs) I mean, and and then you worked your way up and worked your way up. I mean, when you look at where you're at right now, you're writer for, you were um, a writer for ESPN. You got your own Mm -hmm. thing going right now. That's already been very successful, well-known name in, in uh, the hockey circles for all of the work that you've done, like sitting here now and looking back at kind of where you started, what, what kind of thoughts and feelings come to mind? Uh, I mean, kind of disbelief, really. I mean, like I think about like broadcasting NHL 95. I was a 95 guy. I know a lot of people are NHL 94 people, but I was a 95 <laughs> guy because I, I didn't have I didn't have Super Nintendo in 94. Sorry, everybody. Um, but but yeah, so I, you know, I was like broadcasting those games as a kid. And that's like that, that the seeds were planted right then. And you know, at Iowa State, so it's the ACHA Division One club, and it, it really is like one of the historic programs in, in Division One ACHA. And I was just so thankful. Like I first started, I actually was filming the games. I was doing the coaches' game film, and we were filming on VHS. And so, like, I had like a VHS camcorder, and I was doing all the games. And uh, I remember we we like Illinois was one of our big rivals, and I just remember that I didn't move. Like I had to look through the viewfinder. There was no like pullout thing where I could like just kind of just move it around. And I'm like looking through the viewfinder and we got into a shootout against Notre Dame or not Notre Dame, Illinois. And I, and I forget, like I was, I got caught watching the game. So I missed the game winning goal. It's not on film anywhere. <laughs> and I got in huge trouble for it because uh, the kid wanted to see the goal again, but yeah, that's the the perils of VHS. But yeah, like that. So you start there and you just it, like, it just, you kind of take steps and you have to get lucky too. So like after, after Iowa state, I got the Brian Fishman internship at USA hockey which put me in Colorado Springs at the national office working with, you know, the, the governing body of the sport. And that obviously put me in contact with tons of great people. So I had a lot of great mentors the, in hockey that just enhanced my love of the game. Obviously like Jim Johansson, who, who was the longtime GM of, of us national teams. Like I was an intern and he treated me like anybody else in the office. Like he didn't, it, 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 like seeing that kind of level of leadership too, where somebody where he is just like, you are no different than anybody else. Everything you do matters to our organization. It was such a great example. And then I go from there to the national team development program where I did PR for two years. And then I'm, you know, I'm with John Hines and Ron Ralston and Chad Cassidy, John Robleski, and like working alongside these coaches that are, you know, going to have long careers in the, in the game. And, um, you know, Tim Taylor, probably one of my biggest mentors ever, you know, longtime coach at Yale, you know, he was retired. He didn't have to do it but he became an assistant coach at the NTDP because he just loved the game and wanted to continue to get back. I don't even know if he got paid, honestly, I I'm not even sure, but, and he also took me under his wing and he showed me how, like, like when I was watching things, he, he would ask me unprovoked what I thought of this player or that player. And that's where the seeds of evaluation start for me. And, and, and he actually took into account what I was saying. And he would always say to me, you know, he was at Yale when Theo Epstein was at Yale and Theo Epstein was a student journalist. And he, and he says, he would, you know, he's like, what's stopping you from being the next Theo Epstein? I was like, well, maybe the not having a Yale degree, you know, maybe, <laughs> I don't know, but he would always say that to me about, you know, and I, and I, 
I obviously went in a different direction and then ended up kind of channeling some of that energy into media. But that's where, you know, so like all these things, all these steps that you take in your career lead to more education in various ways. Like I, you know, I don't, I didn't know what a prospect writer was, you know, like I didn't have, like, I, I read that stuff, but I didn't think that that was going to be something that I could do. And, you know, but you just get connected and, and all these things kind of snowball. And yeah. And then, you know, I, I have another hiccup where, you know, my wife lost her job and we had to move. And so we moved to Iowa. It's like, what am I going to do in Iowa? You know, how am I, how am I, I, I went to school in Iowa. I love the state, but how am I going to stay connected to the game? So I started a blog, you know, like when people still did that kind of thing. And, and I started a blog and, and then CBS sports found that blog and they said, Hey, we like your draft coverage. Do you think you could come write for us and do that? I was like, yes, I can, you know, and then, it, and then it goes, you know, I, I was there for four years, two years, full time. So part-time and then two years, full time. And then they had like a budget reduction. So I got, I, once my contract was out, it wasn't renewed. And then I was out of hockey. I was working at the university of Iowa in their communications department, because I was like, I'm, I'm obviously done in hockey media. There's nowhere to go from here. And then the athletic starts and a bunch of people start getting hired there and all these other jobs are starting to open up. And then all of a sudden it's, you know, here I am at, uh, at, at university of Iowa and I get a call from ESPN. They're like, Hey, you know, our, our prospect writer, Corey Promen just went to the athletic and you know, you're one of the people that was on our list. And I was like, are you serious? <laughs> so like, so, you know, you have to have those lucky breaks in those moments when even you're, you think you're done and they keep pulling me back in. And then, you know, I also went through another same thing at ESPN budget reduction, lost the job. And I was like, okay, what do I do? Do I, do I leave the game and try to do something different? Do I try to find another media job? And that's when I decided I'm just going to do my own thing. And I started my own website, my own podcast. And now I'm just, just going through it. So it, you have to, you have to go through those kind of steps. But I think the interesting thing for me is that every stumble that I've had somehow found a way to work itself out either through my experience or maybe the right, you know, timing is that kind of everything. So I, I just feel really lucky that, you know, if, if you're passionate about something and, and you care enough about it, you're going to do whatever you have to do to stay in it. And that's kind of what's guided me to this point. And I, I just could not be more thankful for all the people that have helped me get to this point. And now, you know, doing my own thing, it's just super exciting. And, and it's my chance to really connect directly with, with hockey fans through, you know, my website, hockeysense.substack.com, shameless plug. And, um, and my podcast, Talking Hockey Sense, another shameless plug, but it's like, those are the things that I'm now pouring all of myself into. And it, and, and all of those experiences that I've had it over the course of my career, are all going to make this a much better endeavor. I think. Jesus, where do we start with that? <laughs> I know. So and much, yeah, see, I so much awesomeness to unpack there. Seriously <laughs> though, you mean, you start talking about the mentors and then you get into kind of like when one door closes, another one opens, like mm-hmm. uh, I'm a big believer in that. And we've talked about it a lot. Like luck you do got to be lucky, but you also make your own luck. Right. Right. And, and there's the reason why CBS came after you was because you did a great job on the United States of hockey blog. Mm -hmm. And the reason why ESPN came after you is because you did a great job beforehand with your draft coverage on these other media outlets and stuff. And, and we've talked about too, how, like, it's almost like you're always on an interview. Like everything you're doing, you're almost always on an interview. Like I've gotten coaching jobs because of the way that I played. Mm 
And I've gotten other jobs because of the way that I've conducted myself as a, as a coach and, and certain things like that. And I just think that's such a valuable lesson for people to learn because like, we were talking about this the other day, I was visiting with my grandparents for the first time in forever because of, of COVID. And we were talking about how, like, just the way the world is like, you don't have the same job for 60 years anymore. Right. You know, like just our generation and and the way that the world works now, it's, you know, you're, you're jumping around to different things. At least a lot of people are, whether it's because they want to, or whether it's because you're told you have to, because, you know, because you you get let go or whatever it is. So, you know, the job that you're doing and the passion that you bring to it and the way that you treat people, that's going to translate so much into other opportunities. And, and even like, you know, we'll get into the, the hockey draft talk and and stuff like that. Like things that you do at 17 years old, like GMs will be talking about that. If you want to get drafted (laughs) later on down the road and they'll have notes on you for 10 years, even if you're playing pro hockey after that. So everything you do is, is being evaluated. And that's not to put like pressure on people that everything you do is going to come back to haunt you or anything. It's just a reality that, you know, people like to gather information and the more information they get about your character and about the things that you do and the job that you do, um, the better they're going to be able to make a decision on whatever that is. And, and you did, it, you, you got lucky, but also at the same time, it wasn't like a, this lucky break that you got hit by lightning. It was through <laughs> yeah. the work that you did. It was earned. And yeah, like you're saying you're always on an interview and for the parents listening and the players listening, like, so you're always on a tryout. You're a practice. Yeah. You don't know who's in the rink watching. You're you're in a game. You don't know who's watching, who's not. You don't know the other coaches if they're also scouts for junior teams or college teams or pro teams or they used to play pro. They see you play and go, wow, I really like that kid. They pick up the phone and they call a school. Uh, in my last two years coaching, I can't tell you how many times we were playing another team where I would pick up the phone and I would text Western Michigan or text Omaha on the USHL where I played, I said, Hey, we just played against this kid. And I think he's a really good player. Just want to let you know, you might want to watch him. Did it all the time. Did it for our own team. And then I did it for teams we played against. I never even told, I went to one coach. It was a Chicago team. I don't even remember which team said, Hey, tell me about your number nine. I think he was. And he told me about him. I'm like, okay, like I'm going to message Western about him because I really liked the way this kid's played. We played him six times this year. He had no idea who I was, probably what I was doing that I had affiliation with Western H play. Same with you, you know, like, lose a job, whatever you start your own thing, you start writing it because you have a passion. All of a sudden ESPN, CBN, like, you know, it's always do your best work and people will notice. Yeah. Word really travels. Like, I think that's such a great point is like, you know, you don't, you don't know who's watching, but the people that, the people that need to find you have ways of finding you and they, and they will, they will use all those ways and that's why I think that largely if you have the talent and you have the, you know, there, there is the opening, there is the, op, you need to have the opportunity as well, um, that there's an opportunity for you to, to actually achieve that. And, you know, I think one of the things that I've always stressed, in, and I think this is important in any field that you do is like, I, I am such a, I, I put such a huge emphasis on relationship building, you know, with, with sources, you know, people that I need for information, with people that, you know, and, and that's the other thing, like when I'm source building, it's not just source building, it's relationship building, because I actually care about the people that, you know, I have to, one, I have to trust the people that are giving me the information. And two, you know, I, I gen, genuinely want them to know that like, I, yes, if you're going to give me this information that is helpful to you, I will receive it and maybe disseminate that. However, you know, but I have to do it honor, you know, honestly, 
And, and I think people respect that. And then you also, you're just like, but I also care about like, Hey, how's your family doing? How's all these other things? And it's not, I'm not doing that because, because I just want to, you know, be fake nice. I think it's really important to be genuine in everything that you do. And, And that's, that's always, and that really, that comes from my parents as well. I mean, that's a huge thing. My dad was such a, he, you know, he was a supervisor on the, on the fire department. And it's just like, you know, learned so many different things about the value of, you know, leadership and, and, but, but his, he was more of a, like a relationship based, like he cared about the people that was, a, what, that were around him. And that's, that really helps you get the best out of them. So, and, and when you are, when you are that way, I think word travels and people want to help you people, you know, and like, like you say, Jeff, with, with players, you know, players that play a certain way. And it's the same thing for me when I'm evaluating players and there are guys that I watch and, and I'm like, you know, I think that this kid deserves to be drafted and all this other stuff. Like I, I am the same way. Like I'll, I'll say, you know, if I, if I have a scout that I know, I said, Hey, have you been watching this guy? Have you been watching that guy? So there's always people watching what you're doing on the ice, off the ice in, in your career, um, in your personal life. I mean, all of that stuff matters. And, and if you just try to be genuine and real and also, you know, you do have to be good and you have to put the work in, but there are people out there that are willing to help you and want to help you. And then they're even more excited when you reward their faith in you, basically. Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't have said it better. That's, I, I just think being genuine, I think you said that a couple of times in, mm-hmm. in uh, the past couple minutes that you were talking, I mean, just being a genuine good person and literally caring about other people. I think there's kind of two like kind of sides to hockey. There's that, you know, I'm going to climb the ladder at all costs (laughs) and I don't care who I'm going to step on, on the way. And there is definitely that going on in our sport. There's no question about it. Mm But I think that has a shelf life. I really do because I think people are starting to figure out like if if you're going to be happy in this life, you got to surround yourself with good people. Like if you want to genuinely love what you do and and enjoy doing what you do every day, like you, it's hard to do that when you're not around genuine people that care about the same things that you do. And so, I mean, and especially in your position as a writer and, and dealing with so many different people, like what's that like kind of seeing both sides of it where there's this one <laughs> side of like, Hey, I'm going to do whatever I can to help you. And then there's the people who actually mean that. <laughs> and then there's the people who it's like, oh, only if you give me something in return. And if it's going to help me over you, then uh, yeah, I'm going to choose me every time. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I mean, that's, that's, yeah, I, I tend to have, I I'm always, I've always been one of the kind of person that gives people the benefit of the doubt and tries to see the good in people. And sometimes that can, that can burn you in my business for sure. Like, I mean, there, cause there are definitely people that want certain information out there I'm just like, I, I'm a super cautious reporter. Like I don't break a lot of stories. That's not my goal. It's, it's more, I want the information that's going to help me make, you know, good evaluations. It's going to, you know, it might not be something that I report publicly, but if it's like, say it's about a certain player, you know, I'll fold that into my, you know, kind of idea. And, it, and, you know, and you, you know how scouts can be too. I mean, like there are definitely so many guys that they're so many of them are, are great people with good intentions. But as you mentioned, there are people that have, very selfish motives. And so I tend to be able to sniff that out. And, and, and I start kind of moving away from like, if that's, if I, if I think there's like, Hey, this guy is just kind of trying to use me to, you know, promote himself or something like that. Like, I don't love that. You know, it's not a good feeling, but 
you know, and I, but I also, and, and I just don't have it. I, you know, we're born in the same, you know, Chicago, Chicago guys, Midwest people. We all kind of have that like inner, like, I, I don't know, m- most of us, not all of us, but most inner of us. Have goodness. Like, I, yeah. I can't do that. <laughs> like I can't, I don't, I, I will feel, I will feel Chicago? super uncomfortable. Goodness. Well, yes. Vex. Sir, yeah. The blue collar. Yeah. Chicago. Yeah. <laughs> and also I have the Iowa rubbing off on me too, which is just like, so that's, you got that whole thing, but you know, it's, it's, it's kind of, yeah, it's, 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 it's hard to do because I think you do the, the information is so valuable. Cause you're obviously, that's what you're trying to, you know, share with people. And now that I'm in my doing my own thing, I, I even put a higher value on the information that I'm getting because obviously everything I do is providing value to my readers and now that I'm my own boss and I'm actually the readers are basically my boss because they're the ones paying, paying the freight right now with, with subscriptions. Like, you know, I want to make sure that they're getting their money's worth. So it really puts a lot of pressure on me to make sure that I'm getting a lot of unique and information, but, but yeah, but I mean, I think, you know, it, it all comes back to that, you know, being genuine, I feel is so important. And, and I've, I've really, I really value that. And I, I found most people in hockey, you know, are like that. Um, and then you hear about the ones, if you don't know yourself, you'll hear about the ones that, you know, are more of the, you know, get, get where I need to go at all costs. It's just, I don't have that killer instinct to do that. You know, I, it's just not my nature, but, um, and, and maybe there are definitely people in journalism too, that, that are like that, but it's just, yeah, it's not, it's, to me, it's, it, it's not worth it. You know, the reputational hit that you take from that is just not worth it for, you know, cause everything that I do now is, you know, I only have my integrity and that's part of what I'm selling to the readers at this point as well is the honesty, the, the truthfulness, the, you know, the factual nature of every, all the information that I have. And then obviously it's not just, there's a lot of opinion that comes with that too, but it has to come from a basis of fact and, and, you know, a lot of work that you put into it. So yeah, it, it you know, work ethic, the genuine thing, all that stuff, you need to take all that into account when you're and, and see if you see that in other people too, when you're trying to use that information. Yeah. And you talk about like the goodness and, and the genuine people and the two of the people that you mentioned earlier, Jim Johansson and, and Tim Taylor. I mean, wow, you couldn't get more genuine um, and, and good hearted, wanted the best for everybody around mm-hmm. the people than, than those two guys. I didn't know Jim Johansson, uh, but I'd met Tim Taylor a couple different times. Um, but just hearing their reputations of what they've been able to do through their hockey journeys. And, you know, we obviously miss both of them. Um, yeah. a lot of people do right now, but I find it interesting that you got to learn under those guys. And now you are relationship building with people who evaluate talent mm-hmm. that are from a whole different generation. You know, they were yeah. I, I don't know if they were necessarily old school guys i'm sure they were but they definitely come yeah, from agree. the old school so how do you you know as a reporter for uh prospects now in the draft and stuff like how does how does it differ from how you learned it from those two guys versus how you're talking to scouts and what they're saying now yeah you know i think it's a lot of it is is the same but there is there is definitely a difference into like a lot of the guys that I talk to are age peers now, you know, like I'm 36. So like a lot of the guys that I'm talking to are just like similar in age in the age range to me. And, you know, JJ and, and coach T coach T was, you know, 
multiple generations ahead of me and 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 jj was a couple generations ahead of me um but you know i think everybody kind of approaches it the same way they all have the basis they, they all have their basis of of the things that are important to them the things that they want to see you know when when jj was building national teams it was all about you know the the identity of the of the team you know when you're building a national team it's a lot different than building an nhl roster and building draft picks so they, they are looking for different things at different times but you know you're still uh, the, the guys that do it now, obviously, there's a lot more base and there's a lot more focus on the numbers. There's a lot more focus on the analytics and things. And, and but but it all comes back to the eye test still from those guys. And they, they use all of those experiences that they've had. I think what's interesting is a lot of the younger guys have been playing kind of in this era now where we're starting to see um, the, the, the higher emphasis on skill. Uh, I think they can identify it um, sometimes more easily and, and value it. In more appropriately than say, like, I always think work ethic, battle, compete, all those things are very, very important. Um, but we're in an NHL now that's moving towards speed, skill, you know, elite talent. And it's so I think that a lot of these younger guys are much more, they are, they are going more towards that. And, and maybe it, they're not devaluing the work ethic and things like that, but they, it, it, it isn't, if you can't play, you can't play, you know, kind of thing. So I think they're a lot more, they let those guys slide a lot more from, from what I've seen. I do think that there's a gap between what the older guys look at and what the younger guys look at. Um, but there are so, so what many, is that? So what is that gap? Like, it, what is that gap you think? Man, it's tough to say. I, I think, I think really what it comes down to is um, I think there's a little bit more, I think they're a little bit more okay with the individual nature of a player like you know how you're they're looking more they're looking less for role players and they're looking more for stars i'd say the younger guy i think that's the big thing it's like i think there's a lot more home run hitting now as opposed to making the safe play so i think that's probably the biggest difference is that if we have a first round draft pick it's you you basically you should want to have an nhl player you know that guy's got to play in the nhl right it's it's a huge uh, it's a huge investment, but you know, like I look at teams like um, the San Jose Sharks, for instance, and they've got scouts from various spectrums. So, you know, you got Doug Wilson Jr. You have Tim Burke, you have guys that, you know, so Tim Burke's an older guy, Doug Wilson Jr. is obviously a younger guy, but that's a group that looks, they want to hit home runs. And so they'll, they'll say, you know, if there, are there some character concerns, maybe, but is he really skilled? You know, like they did that with Ryan Merkley a few years ago. I think they made a really interesting swing in the first round this year with Ozzy Weisblatt, who, you know, is a super skilled player, but he's also got that high motor, good work ethic, good, you know, all those different things. Um, so I do think that there's a lot of that kind of like, can we hit a home run with skill? And I think there's a lot more willingness to do that from the younger guys than there is from the older guys. I find that very interesting for me right now. San Jose is a great, um, test plan of the old versus the new yeah. because you know they won with guys like Joe Pavelski as their captain who didn't have the best skill but he was an unbelievable character guy you know mm -hmm. we played against Joe Pavelski in the USHL and he couldn't skate a lick he still can't really skate <laughs> that well but he's going to go down as one of the best American born players of all time it's unbelievable, they've, yeah. they've gone the way of the skill and it's gotten them nowhere you know, and Joe Pavelski goes and he, you know, he brings Dallas to the Stanley Cup finals last year and wills him there with some of his play. 
And that's where the juxtaposition between the two, like, it's just, it's so mm-hmm. fascinating to me because you do, you need both like right. in, in an ultimate team and an ultimate player would, would have both. Um, but again, the, the art of scouting and trying to, you know, snuff a lot of that stuff out. But San Jose to me is an interesting one because yeah, yeah like where they've gone with some of their picks and some of the people they've brought into the program and stuff, they, it is, it's home run hitting, but there's some character issues or there's some, some things that have been some issues in the past and it, yeah. it is. It's not really working yeah. out so well right now. <laughs> True. And I do think that they've tried to balance that a little bit because, you know, they've got Mario Ferraro right now, who I think is like the ultimate character guy, you know, and so like, you know, and he's been he's been really good. And same with John Leonard, who's come in and and he's he's both. He's got the skill, the work ethic. He's you know, and he's, he's a guy that's really developed. But you're right. But but that's the thing. It's like it's just a it's just a, that that risk reward analysis that you're trying to do with those those high picks. And I think the other thing that happened with San Jose is they were also picking later in the first round. So they almost felt like we're going to lose, you know, can we gain some value by trying to get some, some skills? So, but you're right. I mean, in some cases it's going to work in some cases it doesn't. And that's why I think that you see scout the way scouting staffs are built in the NHL right now, they have a good mix of young guys, older guys that have been doing it for a long time. They really involve their analytics teams now. So there's, there's more decision makers involved in the process. And I think that that, that has led to by and large, better decisions by scouting staffs across the board. There are very few first round busts anymore. They still exist, but they just don't happen as as frequently. And I think if you still at the point now, if you can get an everyday NHL player out of your first round draft pick, as long as that guy's like out, especially if it's outside of the top 10, you know, then you've done okay. You've done pretty well to get an everyday NHL because it is, it's, it remains an inexact science, even with all the analytics and all the different projections that happen. So let me ask you this question. So there's, there's, so I'm not even aware of this, but there's much less busts in the NHL now than there used to be. Anecdotally. Yes. I mean, like, I think, you know, especially in the the top five range, like, you know, most of those guys are going to be top six, you know, top four guys, starting goalies, things like, you know, they, they don't pick many goalies in the first round anymore. Um, you know, so I, I think that we've seen a high, a much higher hit rate. Like you look, I think like the, the, the Connor McDavid draft, I think everybody, but one, every first rounder, but one has already played, you know, significant NHL games. So, and that's I not wonder, that long ago. Yeah. So uh, here's, here's my question to that. Like, I wonder, is that because the scouts are better and the information they're getting is better, you know, that these people are are hitting more or is it the way that the game is played now in terms of younger guys are thrown into the fire uh, right away and they're expected to play these bigger roles and they're investing so much more money into these younger guys now where and they like, give them that opportunity. That's yeah. True. Like when, when we were growing up, before. right? Like all the, the guys that we played with your first round draft pick, like you, you're going to the AHL unless you're right. exceptional. And then you get to the AHL and some guys like they're just not, like their, their DNA is not to grind through it and they've been the best player <laughs> yeah. forever and they have to suffer, you know, in the AHL or the IHL way back in the day before they, <laughs> yeah. they get up there. So I wonder, is it, is it necessarily the fact that like we have all this better information and, and we're doing all these better things scouting, or is it just the fact that like we're giving these kids more opportunity and with that opportunity, they're, you know, they're, they're flourishing. Yeah. Well, I think, I think both are true. Cause I definitely think that the players are getting the opportunities. I, teams are much more willing, not just because the, they have the spot. I mean, because they, a lot of these guys are proving that they can do it right away. Not all of them, but I mean, a lot of them are. And I think that that's a tribute to the development that's happened over the course of 
all levels of hockey in the last, you know, several years. And also obviously the demographics of more players playing hockey. Like, you know, we went through some down periods there where the numbers just weren't that high. And now it's coming back where these guys are part of a growth cycle that, you know, is, is pushing more players towards the NHL, which is great. Um, but yeah, I mean, the salary cap is the biggest the biggest reason why players on entry level contracts have such high value and are getting those opportunities um, is sometimes earlier than they should. And, but what I think I've found is that most teams are still, you know, they're, they're still an, you have to be an exceptional player to get that level of treatment. I still think that there are a lot of teams that value the, the stepping stones that you need to take. Um, Teams are, have been a little bit more like you look at guys like Kale McCarr who take that extra year in college, you look at, and teams are okay with that because it's free development for them. And then a lot of teams are a little nervous that say, Hey, they'll get longer. That guy stays, the more likely he might go to free agency or, or something like that. But, you know, as we've seen with a lot of the college players lately, if you stay three years and you're a top player, you're going straight to the NHL. And so, um, so I think that there's, there's a lot of different things that are happening because you you have the draft, I think that I do think that they're drafting better and smarter. There's less, you know, there are less picks that are like that guy's big and can, you know, that, and, and he skates pretty well, not doesn't have great hockey sense, but we'll work it out. Like those guys aren't getting picked anymore. They're, they're teams that aren't they're They're going for skill. They're going for hockey sense. And, and then on top of that, the players, since I've been doing this, the top players just continue to get better and raise the level of play. And that's and that's kind of a testament to everybody else in the game that's been developing developing them. Well, I think what Tope was saying earlier about San Jose being interesting, and you guys talking about skill guys making it younger versus maybe a guy less skilled, more hard work ethic, whatever. Look at the teams that are in the playoffs and that win. Mm-hmm. Like I feel like fair, a lot of teams fair. they the with the younger, sexy, flashy skill guys who are the guys who maybe don't work as hard, not the guys who are not Sidney Crosby. Cause he's the flashy, but he's also the work ethic, but the guys who aren't that maybe they're winning in regular season, but when winning really matters in the postseason, they're not winning as much. I mean, I think that's something to think about too, is, you know, what is a club's, what is a club's goals, you know? Yeah. Yeah. And I, you know what, I think that like, and you look at St. Louis and St. Louis is a team that definitely drafts more like NHL, like, they're looking for those NHL size guys. Like the last guy they took in the first round, Jake neighbors, big player, physical, good hockey sense and everything. Like he's, he's going to play in the league for sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, they, they're, they're, they, and they usually pick later in the draft too. So they, they get guys that, you know, are, they, they focus more on the guys that they think are going to be able to fit a role and be an everyday NHLer as opposed to skill. But then, you know, you, you, you kind of fall into guys like a Jordan Cairo in the second round or, you know, that do have that high level of skill, but almost always it like Robert Thomas is a great example as well. There's, there's work ethic on top of that skill. Um, so, yeah, so you, you do see those different things. I mean, I look at you know, Tampa Bay, I think is one of the teams that, that bucked the trend a little bit, but they did have to get harder, right? They had to get Blake Coleman. They had to get uh, Barkley Goudreau to get to that next level. Um, but they still, most of their guys that they have were, were internal picks you know like guys like obviously stan coast headman kucherov was was a guy that the you know if if not for the russian factor which doesn't exist as much it still exists but it doesn't exist as much anymore you know a guy that would have been a clear first round draft pick in most other years was a second rounder um you know so i i think you know 
what I also wanted to say was that in, in the later rounds, I think the teams are also getting a lot more hits because they are making those kinds of picks. They're, they're looking at guys that are second and third year eligibles, guys that have a little bit more development on them, guys that, that could fit a role down the line. And so they're not just taking those home run swings in every single round. And, and the teams that do that, I feel have much more success in the mid rounds when they're taking fewer of those swings than they do, um, you know, than some of the other teams that are just trying, like, you know, you can look at, I'm interested to see how it'll play out. It's way too early to tell, but like you look at the Maple Leafs and they have the last few drafts, they have, they have focused heavily on skill, not worried at all about size, not worried at all about role. It's just like, how many home runs can we hit? And, and, and they may hit some, I think they could, you know, they had some nice picks and they're, you know, and a guy like Nick Robertson is both skilled and works hard uh, that they got in the second round a couple of years ago, but yeah, but it, it, there are all these differing philosophies and I'm going to be fascinated. You know, I still have to go back and do the research eventually, but I think those are going to be some of the great case studies to see which worked best. Cause you look at a team like St. Louis that it's like, Hey, we've got, we've got our type of player that we want to get. And then clearly, you know, Toronto's got their type of player that they want to get. Who's going to have the most success long-term with those players. Yeah, for sure. And I think another thing, just being around and Chris, I'd be interested to hear what you think about this with talking with the amount of people that you do. I, I think there's a lot more investment into the behaviors and the character of the, mm, the kids coming in nowadays sure. um, in, in smarter ways than, than maybe before. And I think that could be a reason as we're talking about this, why there might be less busts <laughs> because they're, they're bringing in the right players. And I know, yeah, I won't say the team, but like, you know, I've, I've had conversations with guys very high up in the scouting and, and, you know, he was like their GM, they were the home run swingers and the character maybe wasn't like uh, that big of a deal. And then they did not do very well for some time. Mm-hmm. And then he said, never again, the GM was like, never again, we will never miss on character ever. And that, yeah. that team has done very well lately. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and I've learned from those mistakes. <laughs> it is, it is so important. Teams are definitely working smarter around that. A lot of them are engaging sports psychologists and sports performance coaches and different people that they're putting in their organization that are giving them full-time roles. And they're, they are involved in the draft interview process. Um, you know, I, I think that that that's, a hugely important thing is that, you know, that's going to get sniffed out. And I also think scouts are a lot of scouts that I've, that I'm learning. Like I think about, you know, as a journalist, I have to be a pretty good interviewer. I think a lot of scouts are actually really good interviewers where they actually put the put players and it's not always those crazy questions that they ask players at the combine. It's those simpler ones about what those players are like, what, what their family is like, what they've learned, you know, the different, what's important to them, you know, and I I always come away from those talks. Like I I think about, you know, the first time talking to Kale McCarr and, and, and this was after he was drafted and everything. And it was in the middle of his Hobie Baker year. And I'm just like, I'm talking to this kid and right away you could tell that he's, you know, he was raised well. He's just like super polite and just really, you know, just everything is, he, he knows that he's a good player. He's confident in everything, but there's just something about him where he's like, it's not all about deflecting credit. It's just about being a good person and, and, and making sure that everyone around you is, is, is okay too. Um, and it was so important to him during that process. Like I, I remember like, so our, the art, I don't write the headlines, but the article that we had on, on ESPN.com was something like how Kale McCarr was single-handedly 
raising the level of the UMass program. I, I can't remember exactly the words. And <laughs> I thought his dad, I, I know his dad a little bit too. He's like, oh, I don't think Kale's going to like that headline. You know, it's like, Oh, sorry. I mean, I don't write the headlines, but, but those types of that, that matters. And I think that translates into how Kale plays because he is such a dedicated person to his craft. And, and you, you can sniff that out in the interview process. And it's because you know what answers are not can. And a lot of these guys are well rehearsed. They have a lot of the agents will talk to them and they'll say, don't say this, don't say that. Um, but, you know, I look at guys, Moritz Sider is a number one, another one from the Red Wings. That is a kid that is just, it's not that he's like fake polite or he, he's, he is maybe the most genuine prospect I've ever interviewed because he showed up to the combine in like a polo shirt and jeans, didn't really realize that he had to like get suited up for, for, for interviews and that almost made him more likable because he's just like, he was so comfortable in his own skin. He didn't care that he just had like white, white sneakers on. It was like, you know, and, and as we see, he's just a kid that is completely dedicated to his craft and, and is currently maybe the best defenseman outside of the NHL right now. I mean, like he is an unbelievable prospect and he's just a, it, again, it's those genuine people that, you know, you can learn a lot about them just from talking to him. And that's one of the things I love the most about this job is that, you know, you can talk to those players and you can learn a lot about their personality and, and then you can see how it translates on the ice as well. And so I think that the scouts are doing a much better job, but then you also engage the professionals like the, the, the behavioral scientists and the, the, the sports psychologists and the performance coaches. And, you know, obviously a lot of the people that work with nutrition and everything else, you learn so much about those players. And, and I think teams, as I've said before, have more information than they've ever had on these players. And that's makes it harder to miss on them. I love that. Talk about, I mean, more cider right there. You know, Steve Eisenman, his first draft, I think he was his first draft pick, yeah, right? First, first draft mm-hmm. pick. And, and, you know, he's a guy at Tampa Bay that really values character. And you look what he did to build that juggernaut over there. And it, I mean, it just makes a lot of sense. And, and Moritz is playing actually, <clears throat> excuse me, Moritz is playing uh, over in Sweden right now for two teammates of mine uh, that I played with at Cornell, Cam and Chris Abbott, who I should shout out yeah. Scott Wheeler today, uh, wrote an unbelievable article about those two guys um, that like literally brought me to tears because they <laughs> are two of the best teammates that I've ever had. And they've clawed their way from being cut from the coast in Stockton, California. You know, their, their family owns a boat shop and it burned down. Um, and now they're, they've fought their way through and, and now they're over in Sweden and they took this, they, they became stars over there based on their mm-hmm. work ethic and their personality. Um, and, uh, and now they're the GM and head coach, they're twins of, of the team that more Sider's playing for. And, and they, again, like Steve Eiserman's not a dummy. There's a reason why they're sending more Sider to, to the Abbott twins to develop for a year before he gets back over here. And again, it just goes back to the character side of things. And it almost brings us all the way back to the beginning of our conversation about just how important it is to be a genuine good person and work hard (laughs) and be passionate about what you do, because it's just, it's, it's so, so important. And uh, you know, the one thing I did want to ask you, just kind of going in a different different side of things, you know, sure. you've gotten a chance to, to talk to a lot of different scouts and, and you with your eye for as long as I, I always felt like as a, as a recruiter and an evaluator of talent, my best lessons are on the kids that I missed mm, the ones that absolutely. I took that didn't work out. <laughs> and the ones that I didn't necessarily go after that I probably should have. And I've that like, they've been such good lessons. Like do, who two-part question here who are some of those people for you in evaluating nhl draft talent and then just kind of like on a macro level what what did you learn from maybe some of the mistakes yeah um, so 
I'm glad you brought that up because that's that's exactly how I learned too. And so the first actual draft ranking that I did for the public was the Seth Jones, um, Nathan McKinnon, Jonathan Drouanier. And in that ranking, I'm embarrassed to say, but like I, I fully believe Seth Jones was the best player in the draft. I had him number one. I was like, you know, that I feel like he is the number one guy. Number two, I did not have Nathan McKinnon. <laughs> I had Jonathan Drouin. And Jonathan Drouin was such a, an elite skill player. I mean, he looked like a video game in, in the queue. And I was like, and at that point, I, would, I had become so obsessed with puck skills, the ability to create space. And what I didn't fully grasp, and, and I didn't have as much of a budget, so I wasn't able to actually go to Halifax to see them. I was watching completely off of video. Um, I didn't have, you know, a lot of opportunities to go to like the combine, which I do now. And I interview players and do all those things. And so I would, I, I didn't really ever have a chance to even talk to them. So, so those, those things I definitely learned a lot from. And so what I learned from that is, you know, you, the skill is one thing, but you have to look at like a guy like Nathan McKinnon and see the work ethic that he puts in and that the, the, the explosiveness, obviously the skating was elite at, at all times. Um, you know, neither of them had a very good world junior. And, and I think that, you know, they both kind of have, they're a little bit, sur- both of them have kind of surly personalities too. They're not like the, the warm and fuzzy guys either, but as we saw with Tampa, the situation that kind of struck them, you know, they picked, they could have had Seth Jones in that number three slot. You know, he ended up going number four, Jonathan Duran did end up becoming Mikhail Sergachev, but I think I'd, I'd personally would rather have Seth Jones than Sergachev, even though Sergachev's awesome. Um, but, but like, that's, that's one where, where you kind of miss. And I, I think, you know, it, it's made me focus a lot more on character and a lot more on impact in a game and, and the way a player plays. Cause Duran could put up points with anybody and he, you know, he had video game numbers on top of the video game skill and was a human highlight reel. Um, but there, I just put way too much stock into it. And that's when I started saying, okay, where I, from that point forward, I was like, I need to build a base, a better base. And I always start that base with hockey sense. And which I guess is why I called my website hockey sense like that. And, and, and how does that manifest itself in a way that the player plays? And, and I think hockey sense is just that all encompassing thing, but very specifically, you know, a- anticipation vision, the, the way that you can kind of, dictate the shift or a game by the decisions that you make with the puck or the decisions that you make away from the puck. Um, so, yeah, so that's when I was like, okay, skills are great. And I hope that you have skill, but if you don't have like that compete, that hockey, cause I think that the competitiveness comes in the hockey sense too, cause you need to know when to deploy it. Right. So, um, so that's all, all factored in. And I definitely, when I started interviewing prospects more, which I was able to do much more at ESPN than I was at CBS, I found that I was making fewer mistakes because I was getting to know these players. And I think that's such an important element that, that you, that you have. I mean that, so like more Cider went sixth overall. I was one of the public lists that had him the highest, but that was like still like 15th. Um, and, but it was a lot, it, a lot of it had to do with my interaction with him at the combine. Like this, this guy does not, he is not going to get rattled by anything. He showed up to the combine in sneakers and didn't even think like it was a big, like didn't care at all. And the, the teams were like making fun of him. And he thought that was hilarious. You just, he let, he let everything roll off of him. And so, and then there are, there have been other players where I talked to him and I'm just like, 
I don't get a good feel. And then when, when I don't get a good feel, that's when I start asking other questions and I don't ask the player and I don't ask his coach and I don't ask his agent. I ask everybody. I try to ask the people around the periphery, what they think. And then you start to learn a little bit more about that person. So uh, those are the things that I learned. And I think the Jonathan Druen decision that I made and also like same draft ballerina Chushkin had him way too high. Um, you know, so like those are different things that you learn from you say, okay, where did I go wrong? And a lot of it will come back to, I, I emphasize skill over some of the other important things that, that need to be taken into account. Yeah. It's really interesting that you say that. Cause I feel the same way. Like a lot of the mistakes that I made was like skill and flash and not substance, mm-hmm. you know, like I missed on kids like, and, and I think as coaches, yeah, uh, you know, sometimes we, we get this kind of like over inflated value of what we can do as coaches and we think we can change people. <laughs> right. Um, so I can make a kid compete. Like if he's got the skill in the hockey sense, I can make a kid compete. There is not a more frustrating kid to coach than one that has a lot of ability and doesn't compete. And right. I will never, ever, ever take a kid that doesn't compete ever again, solely for my sanity, <laughs> Yeah, because it is like you sit up at night and you're like, why doesn't this kid compete? What can I do to make this kid compete? I'd much rather coach a kid that competes that I can, you know, make him do skill better any right. day of the week now. And, and I think I, I so agree with you that the substance and the impact of the game, like the people that I learned from and the people that I talk to that I have a lot of respect for, they all talk about impact. And, yeah. and that's why I think the eye test is so important and you can't just look at numbers because you can make right. an impact on a game that won't show up on an analytics sheet at the end of the game or won't show up, you know, like, do you stick up for a teammate? There, there are just so many little things. Do you screen the goalie? Are you not afraid to get to the front of the net yeah. and the defenseman gets the goal and, 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 but you're not on the score sheet. Like, um, yeah. do you, and, and analytics is getting better. I think at, at finding those things. Yeah. Right. Um, they're, they're certainly getting better and that's evolving where, but, but still like just the, the substance is so important and the character is so important. And, and, uh, yeah, the, the times that I miss is when I, I kind of thought maybe we can, we can build the substance into the player rather right. than build the other things into the player. That's that. And that's actually another thing that I've learned is that a lot of times the player that, that, that who that person is at 17 and 18 years old, they, they can grow, they can get better. They can mature. There are certain things, but a lot of the things that you see that they do at that age is pretty much follows them. And you have to, what you have to project at that point is, is are the things that they do particularly well going to continue to you know, trend up in that direction. And is that going to increase their potential? But, but I think it's, it, you know, the one thing is, is I don't think that you, you can make players more skilled. You can make them better skaters and things. It's, it's a lot harder to do. Um, but yeah, I think that if you don't have that drive, you know it right away and it's not worth the investment at that point to try to bring that out of a player. And when you're using like a high draft pick or, I mean, the draft picks are valuable and, you're going to hit more. You have, the kid has to have the ability. There's no question about it. Like there has to be that ability there. You can't just say, Oh, I love this kid's work ethic and he's going to be an NHL player. That's not how it works. But, but if, if they have both, then, then you've got something. 
Yeah, for sure. That's that's the the, the golden ticket right there. <laughs> We're always yeah. trying to find those These people. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, good stuff. Well, this has been awesome, Chris. We really appreciate your your perspective and insight on a lot of this stuff. Um, for our listeners, you, you did it. You called it the shameless plug. I think a little bit. It's not shameless. <laughs> love to love to bring you on here and and uh, and promote the stuff that you are doing. So, where where can our listeners find you? And and what are some of the stuff that you're writing about? Yeah. So um, the new the new website's called Hockey Sense um, with Chris Peters because uh, I I think there are other hockey senses out there. So this is specifically with me. Um, but yeah. So it's hockeysense.substack.com. Um, it's you know it's like fifty four bucks for an annual subscription, six bucks a month for uh, for for monthly, and it's just all that money goes right back into the site just because I, I want to try and travel and see more players and, and do more of those interviews and do all those things. So uh, it's, I've had great support so far. Um, and, and so I've been writing mostly, I mean, obviously it's the frozen four right now or the men's, the men's regionals and everything. So there's tons of college hockey content right now, but I'll cover the Olympics, the NHL draft drafted prospects, the AHL. Um, I'm trying to cover all bases, uh, at least beneath the NHL. And there will certainly be some NHL things over the, over time. I always look at the young players in the league. Um, but, you know, and there is free content. There is a free email that you can get onto if you don't want to subscribe and I, you know, do what you want with your money, but that's what I, what I got going on there. And then the podcast is called talking hockey sense. It's available, you know, wherever you get podcasts. I've had uh, Bob McKenzie, Corey Promen, and John Butchergrass on uh, to talk a lot of draft, a lot of college hockey, um, I've been really thankful to have those guys uh, to come on as the first guest. I'm sure uh, I'm going to have to have each of you guys on at some point here because uh, I, I, I've been such a huge fan of, of your podcast from the very beginning. And just, you know, you 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 deliver all the things that you say you're going to deliver. I mean, I get a little bit of inspiration, a little bit of knowledge, all that <laughs> stuff. So, uh, uh, you know, it's 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 been it's been fun to watch you guys grow this thing, too, because I think it's such an important there are so many people that just don't know there's, there's a lot that they don't know and any, any chance you can fill those gaps in, in information, which is what I try to do with prospects and everything else, you know, you, you fill a certain need and um, obviously it's a great game. And, and I, I really appreciate that you guys are trying to make it even greater. So uh, thank you so much for having me on. It's, it's truly an honor to, uh, to be on here and, and uh, thanks for giving me the opportunity to plug all my stuff too. Um, and yeah, please uh, check, check it out folks. And uh, I hope that I can deliver on what I've promised. Absolutely. No such thing as a shameless plug. <laughs> I respect it. I respect it. Vex is a Vex is the master. Yeah. <laughs> oh man. Well, good stuff. Well, yeah. Everybody, check out Chris's work. It's it's awesome stuff. He's done such great stuff before, and and uh, really excited to see where this journey takes you. Uh, and then at the end of the day, go White Sox. That's right. Go Go Sox. Let's do it. <laughs> All right. We'll see you later.